Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You are listening to Deep Fried Thoughts with Michael Friedberg. We're here at Yellow Belly right in Boulder, Colorado. And today our guest is Ian McGregor with Scratch Labs. How are you doing today, Ian? I'm good. Really good. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thanks for coming. And so this show, this is the second episode, and it's basically about sports and business and the intersection thereof. And so, Ian, let's, uh, let's start off by talking about um, sports, which how did you get into cycling? Um, tell us a little bit about your career. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of funny, I think, to even talk about cycling. For me, it actually starts with ski racing. Um, I grew up in the mountains here in Colorado uh, near a little town called Nederland that's about 20 miles west of Boulder. And uh, ended up on snow, I think, at two or three years old. And uh, that led to uh, an aspiring career, I should say, in, in, in ski racing. And, you know, always had Olympic dreams and dreams of uh, skiing for a top college uh, like CU is here in town. Um, and that's really what got me on the bike. So uh, we had a, a coach who was really our dry land training, which is the sort of fitness side of ski racing, which is super, super important, um, who had a passion for the bicycle and uh, got myself into my first mountain bike race. And uh, I quickly learned that I had uh, maybe a higher level of aptitude uh, for pedaling than I did for coasting downhill. And towards the end of high school, I kind of had to make a decision whether I was going to take some uh, – Take, take what's generally called the post-grad year, so after high school but before going to college to really focus on ski racing full-time with the hope of getting ranked high enough to be able to get a full college scholarship at a good school. Um, but at the same time, for me, cycling had been sort of a side project but was sort of taking off and uh, at that time made the decision to follow the cycling track. Uh, one thing led to another and, uh, like I said, kind of had a little more aptitude for that. Maybe being small and skinny helped. <laughs> so you're, uh, you're about, what, 17, 18 years old at this point? Uh, yeah, 18, 19, um, kind of in that range. So I think the last year I ski raced, I was 18. Um, and uh, first year I was cycling was kind of that same period, 18 years old. And um, was, was lucky enough to uh, get myself a spot on what was at the time um, kind of a national level development team for riders under the age of 23. Uh, the title sponsor was 5280 Magazine and then TIAA CREF. Uh, financial services company and uh, that's ultimately the team that morphed into what is now Cannondale Garmin I believe name keeps changing every year Uh, the Slipstream Sports Organization so I raced for those guys from 2004 through 2008 um, and then raced uh, domestically with Team Type 1 
uh, for a year and uh, unfortunately at the time kind of got pulled out of the sport of cycling with a leg injury. Uh, I had a condition called indi- uh, iliac endofibrosis, um, which means nothing to anyone unless you're like a vascular surgeon. Um, basically, the, uh, the artery in my left leg kinks uh, almost like a garden hose would kink, um, which you can imagine uh, impedes the uh, blood flow. Which, and that's your femoral artery? Uh, your iliac, actually. Yeah, iliac. Yep, so it's above the femoral artery. Uh, so slightly larger even. Um, kinked artery, not blood flow in, in a leg. Obviously doesn't make it very easy to uh, pedal a bicycle and perform at the level um, at which your team expects from you. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about because um, I think one of the most fascinating conversations with athletes is about the decision, um, you know, when to move on from sport into other aspects. And it seems like in your case, maybe that decision was... Um, made for you well i think that's a great it's a great question and um you know i'm 32 now so a lot of my former teammates friends peers uh are really have faced that question very recently in the last couple years where maybe it was more on their own terms or are now talking about sometime over the next couple years they're going to have to move on so it's definitely something that i've paid a lot of attention to um in my own case uh in hindsight yeah it was forced upon me but the reality is is that uh there is a surgical option um, it's, uh, the, the injury is not always consistent. Um, you know, it kind of, uh, rears itself differently in different people. Um, and, uh, so therefore you can't necessarily apply one set of standards to what the risks and, and benefits are for having the surgery. But really the bottom line is, is you're talking about a major vascular surgery to a otherwise very healthy, you know, somebody in their late twenties. And, uh, the biggest concern is really what's going to happen in your life 40, 50 years from now. And they don't know the answer to that because they haven't been doing these types of surgeries for long enough to even be able to tell. Um, you know, I think the, I met, I met with a couple of different vascular surgeons and, um, oddly enough, I was very turned off by their, um, very passionate desire to cut me open and uh, was a little scared. Uh, there was one, one doctor in particular who was instantly talking about how we were going to be doing the group ride together in two months. And uh, something just didn't felt, feel, feel right about that. You know, Generally speaking, my experience with doctors uh, is always a tale of caution, um, not, a, not a place for aggression. So it was, it was a tough period, and um, I have some, some very close people you know, who I've got to, to thank for for what I think was the right decision in electing not to have surgery. Um, I mean, I fully wanted to. I mean, I remember crying in a parking lot uh, at a hospital after we had finally diagnosed it, and I finally had a meeting with a vascular surgeon, and uh, my plan was to have surgery, and uh, luckily was talked out of it um, by, by, like I said, my group of mentors, my group of close friends who ultimately said, you know, there's, there's more to life than just cycling, and it's been a wonderful you know, six-year career. You've done good things. Absolutely, there might be there's plenty more you could have, you know, you, you could have achieved had this not been an issue, but, um, you know, there's a lot more to life than that. And, uh, again, in hindsight, uh, I very strongly believe is the right decision. And, uh, I think a, sort of a perfect segue into the business side of things, which is, um, you know, had, had I had that surgery and had it gone well and had I been able to continue, uh, you know, a career as a cyclist and been focused on that and paid the bills with pedaling, um, you know, I never would have been able to, uh, experience uh, the, the journey that we've had and are continuing to have um, with Scratch Labs. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you kind of glossed over your career a little bit. And, uh, you know, you and uh, Timmy, who is my, my first guest, are both, um, you know, so humble. But you were a, a two-time uh, U23 national champion. And so, I mean, in this kind of cohort of 
of people that went on to be part of you know Jonathan Botter's programs and and you know you were absolutely I mean you're beating those guys as a as a U23 so I mean that's kind of has to be uh, that had to be you know it sounds like you're very mature and like had great people in your life to help you with that decision but I mean you were on the forefront of of that wave of riders yeah absolutely I mean uh, you know, my, my peers and teammates are the guys who, you know, I now watch racing in the Tour de France, you know, the guys I now, uh, root for at the Olympics. I mean, Timmy included. Um, and it's definitely, I mean, it can be kind of a mind trip or trap at times to think about what could have been, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I would really like to think about it that way. And, and don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, a lifelong goal of mine in multiple sports was to go to the Olympics and that's not something I achieved. And, you know, frankly, it's not something I'm ever going to achieve now. Um, I don't think I have a good aptitude for curling and I'm not sure what else (laughs) I could (laughs) try. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Probably not. I have a kid now. I don't really want to die. So, (laughs) um, but I, I, th- I think the way that I look at it is this, is, um, you know, for me as a 20-year-old, as a I was absolutely, um, you know, one of the best 20-year-olds out there. As a 21-year-old, same thing. As a 22-year-old, same thing. As a 23-year-old, same thing. 24-year-old, same thing. And at that point in time, I kind of diverged, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, these other guys, you know, you look at, at Peter Stetna and TJ uh, Van Garderen, you look at what Timmy did, uh, even though he's recently retired. Um, you know, when we were 24, 25, um, without a doubt, I was in the same place as those guys. And, you know, in some cases better and in some cases worse. You know, that's bike yeah. racing. depends on the result. But um, the way I like to look at it is really that glass half full approach, which is that, um, you know, I was able to, to race for, you know, a legitimate professional cycling team to pay the mortgage, pedaling yeah. a bicycle, um, you know, to help put my wife, my now wife through college from pedaling a bicycle, was able to save some money. Um, but more importantly, was able to, uh, you know, to live in Europe for a few years, to experience uh, dozens of countries, um, to experience cultures, people, a lifestyle. Uh, that is really what is so special about that opportunity. And, and the only difference is that I did it for four, five, six years, um, yeah. as where you know Timmy did it for for ten or eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this isn't entirely accurate but maybe it's just how I help myself get up in the morning but you know I'd like to think that in those five years I did or was able to experience 90% of what uh, some of those other guys were able to experience in in 10 or 15 years Um, and yet in the last five I've been able to experience things uh, that are sort of that hopefully have created a perpendicular skill set yeah and so um just kind of wrap that up where are you at with your leg you're you're a big skier you're able to to pursue athletics you know kind of full circle back on skis where you started yeah it's interesting so the the injury that i have and that anyone who has the similar uh condition of iliac endofibrosis um it's it's a strange problem because it only rears itself if you're sort of geometrically in the wrong position mm. um so it's that acute hip angle um that you can picture on a road bike that accentuates the problem so for example if i get on a treadmill and i run I can reach uh, a full VO2 max potential running. Um, I'm not a good runner, so it's pretty ugly. No one wants to see that. Um, But on a bicycle, uh, not even close. I mean, even today, just 500 meters down the road on a road bike, I can feel that impeded blood flow in my left leg. Now, on a mountain bike, it's it's still there, but it's a little better. So, again, it's ultimately about that that hip angle that's created an issue. So... Um, it's interesting for me, uh, I was actually speaking, uh, when I was trying to decide whether I was going to have the surgery or not, I was speaking, um, 
with Derek Bouchard-Hall, who is now the, the CEO of USA Cycling. And uh, he actually elected to have the surgery. And, and Derek is, he's as smart as people come. Um, I mean, I, I, th- I think he was Princeton, but I mean, he's got a, a master's degree in engineering, top of his class. I mean, just all around amazingly talented, but also amazing, amazingly intellectual guy. And uh, he was telling me that after, post-surgery, it worked for about a year and has come back. Uh, he has problems sitting at a desk because of that hip angle. Um, And it's that type of sort of potential complication that I didn't want to deal with. So to answer your question, sorry, um, I don't have a medical condition. Mm. I have a condition that prevents me from being a world-class rower, from being a world-class cyclist, Mm. you know, from uh, being super flexible and wanting to hold that yoga pose for a long time. It's really about those sort of... uh, physical movement that creates an issue so it doesn't impede you know a normal level of recreation um and yeah i i I probably ride a bicycle half a dozen times a year yeah i think probably 10 to 12 hours at most um and that's sort of a combination of of one like i said i can feel it instantly so it sort of brings up some hard feelings which is tough mentally and that's the truth i mean it's just hard uh, I do. It bums me out. Yeah. Um, and the other side of it is that, you know, I have a, a much greater passion for so many other things in life that the bike just isn't at the top of the list. Yeah. Uh, you know, I spend my free time elsewhere. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears. And uh, so you retired at this point. And uh, tell me the story about how Scratch Labs came about. Yeah, so Scratch Labs was a, a really interesting Genesis story and in that it kind of happened by accident, um, as so many, uh, I guess, great companies do. And you know, we hope that that points us in the right direction. But uh, ultimately, it started with uh, with Alan Lim really, I think, getting tired of all of the riders on what then was uh, the uh, Garmin Slipstream pro cycling team back in, I guess, 07, 08 time frame. And, you know, myself being one of those riders who complained, we just complained about our sports nutrition products, that we didn't feel good. We didn't like eating them. They kind of hurt our stomachs. And we're not talking, I was actually puking, but just mm. uncomfortable, bloated, just not ideal. And... Uh, The long short of it was Alan just started experimenting to see if he could make his own because it didn't really, from a scientific standpoint, it didn't make sense why we were having these problems. And um, the one analogy that I would maybe use is is a canary in a coal mine Mm -hmm. and that you get these high-level elite endurance athletes and you're consuming such a high volume of these types of products that you sort of become susceptible to maybe the minor problems that, in hindsight, we now, uh, our experience says that it can probably be attributed to a lot of the excess chemicals that are added. Um, you know, it's not the salt, it's not the sugar, it's all the excess stuff that makes it shelf-stable, that adds bright colors, that gives you a marketing story, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Al ultimately um, solved this problem of gut rot and created a product that, that people liked better. And uh, it wasn't anything that he ever sold. Um, but when I had initially uh, stepped away from pro cycling in early 2010, I started working with Alan. Uh, my educational background is in engineering. Um, so he and I kind of teamed up to take a, a, an engineering science standpoint and a phil- uh, physiology science standpoint, which is what Alan's background is, and, and put them together to see if we could solve problems. And most of these problems were technical in nature, right? Think wind tunnels, fun, fancy, sciencey stuff. Um, but what kept happening is our friends and, uh, you know, my former pe- uh, teammates were asking for this drink mix. So we just kept making it. And uh, kid you not, at one point in time, <laughs> we, uh, we were started making it at McGuc- McGuckin's Hardware in five-gallon paint buckets. And we were putting it in story, their yeah. paint shaker. And that's no exaggeration. That's exactly what we were doing. 
And uh, then we would scoop it out, put it in Ziploc bags, and sell it to our friends. And it was a secret drink mix. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of what it was known as, a secret drink mix. So one thing led to another, and, uh, you know, it was really kind of the consumer demand, which was demand from our friends who quickly, you know, who their friends knew about it and blah, 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 that just sort of started a company. Uh, We definitely never sat around in a in a conference room with a whiteboard and identified a market segment that had a potential and, you know, analyzed margin percentages or, I mean, I didn't even know what any of that stuff was. I mean, that's the only terminology I've learned since, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was kind of, uh, kind of an accident, but it's been, been a fun journey. And I think after the secret drink mix thing really started to gain traction, um, you know, we really looked at what was happening and the irony of it was, is that at that exact point in time, uh, both Alan and I found ourselves Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Starting our lives over from scratch, uh, both having moved on from our you know respective place and positions in pro cycling, um, and with that you know we really wanted a name. I mean, Secret Drink Mix was funny, but it was kind of stupid, um, and so. That's where a lot of where Scratch Labs came from was really this idea that no matter no matter where you're at in life, it's never too late to start from scratch. Uh, you know that that food and drink are better from scratch. Um, but the labs part is important too. You know because the the product and, and a lot of its there a lot of our products roots. Uh, you know they start with science and are then vetted and, and filtered and perfected in the field. You know it's ultimately that combination of both that creates something that's better. So how did it tip from being? this uh you know alan's passion and you know mcguckins kind of thing into uh i mean you're the ceo of this of this company how did it what was it at what point did it become hey time to make this our job time to well <laughs> the, it, it first started at the end of 2010 which is when both alan and i stopped getting a paycheck from cycling <laughs> And so uh, it initially started out of necessity, which is the same necessity that, you know, so many of us have, which is, you know, pay for life. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's interesting because it, it was never about that for us. I mean, that was just sort of a, a side benefit. I mean, I, m- I remember we never paid ourselves, but we had the conversation of what bills do you have to pay this month? And when we could, we would, you know, we being the business would help with that because it was ultimately... Uh, just the three of us. So the, the third partner we had in starting Scratch Labs was a guy named Aaron Foster, mm-hmm. who is a, a very successful artist, um, yeah. you know, a marginally successful actor. Every once in a <laughs> while you see him on TV, you know, he's been in like Spider-Man 3, like some other, I mean, it's really, he's got an amazing life story as well. But, soon uh, to be a pizza mogul. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it was really just this idea. I mean, we didn't start out with a business plan. We didn't start out with uh, a budget, you know. We didn't do any of that. All we did was and this is simplified, but, you know, we made one pound, we sold it to someone who wanted it, not because we 
convince them through marketing that they needed it, but that they heard or tried or you know had used it before and wanted it again. And then we would take that money, we'd buy you know two pounds, and then we'd sell those two, take that money, buy four, and that's really how the whole thing started and took off. And um, you know, like I alluded to before, Alan and I, uh, you know, we're essentially in business together with these other exciting things. So we kind of fought it at first. I mean, we were not. Not only did we not set out and purposefully. Uh, start, you know, a sports nutrition company as it's so um, blandly labeled, but we actually fought it for a while. I mean, it wasn't really our intention. I mean, it was something that, you know, was in our garages that was a side project, uh, and it just so happened that a side project wouldn't go away. Yeah. Uh, so when it wouldn't go away, I think we finally embraced it, and, um, you know, that's what happened. And I think, for me personally, um, I found an enormous passion for business. Um, and not necessarily for business in the sense of getting your MBA and looking at, uh, you know, all the, the really sort of fundamental pieces, but more in what business can do, um, not for yourself, but for your community and what business enables you to do for your customers, uh, what business enables you to do for your employees. And, um, you know, everybody sort of has that fifth grade dream of wanting to change the world. Well, I'll tell you. The level of athletics that I ever got to, I wasn't really changing anybody's world except for my own. Um, but business truly uh, has allowed me to give back and to make changes. And sometimes those changes are very subtle and you know, probably are hardly worth mentioning because it might just be giving somebody a better product. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, they're super meaningful. I mean, we've, you know, we've had some employees that we've been able to help quit smoking. You know, yeah. We've got employees who have families they support because of the jobs that we've been able to create and sustain. Um, and that might sound a little mushy, might sound a little like a cliche, but I don't know. For me personally, it's, it's, it's been really, really rewarding, uh, much more so than winning, winning this or more often than not what happens is losing that <laughs> that happens in athletics. Yeah. And we spoke a little bit offline before we, uh, before we started recording here about... Um, about kind of transitioning from an athlete and, and everything that mindset means and, uh, and kind of going into business. And so um, I'm curious how you apply everything that you learned in ski racing mm-hmm. and bike racing mm-hmm. and how that's um, you know, really helped your thinking around, uh, around Scratch. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, I think that um, athletics are an incredible pipeline of growth. And... Um, Ultimately, it's not about results or professional this or Olympic that, but it's simply in that process of being an athlete at almost any level. You know, the the goal setting, um, the failing to achieve your goals and having to deal with that failure, which, again, is most often what happens, it seems, especially if you set big goals. Um, But I think that those types of lessons, that type of commitment, the the type of self-starter that is able to go out and train on their own, um, you know, without having to have uh, a controlled environment, you know, where they get berated for not doing it. All of those um, skills that are developed through athletics um, are crucial in business. And it's amazing how many times, um, you know, in, in the last four years with Scratch Labs and, and, you know, leading a company that's now got 20 employees and, you know, 4,000 retailers and, uh, you know, I think hundreds of thousands of customers, um, how many times I've found myself in a situation that I was able to draw upon that experience and say, you know, I haven't been exactly here, but I've felt this before. We've had this pressure. We've had this feeling of failure. We've had this, uh, the ability or the necessity to scramble and change plans. You know, any of those types of things come along. And again, it's ultimately athletics that I think 
uh, taught those lessons much, much, at least for me, in a much more meaningful way than uh, a traditional, you know, textbook yeah. business education uh, could have. Yeah. I mean, in your team over there, uh, you guys have Jason Donald, who is a pro tour level rider, mm -hmm. Sean Milne. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, that's, is that thinking sort of pervasive throughout the entire organization? It is. And I think, you know, it's actually been a little bit on purpose. Well, not a little. It's been a lot on purpose. Um, you know, some of our biggest personnel failures have been trying to hire people with, quote unquote, great experience. Um, and in many cases, that great experience, I think, unfortunately, has created sort of a, an expectation level that wasn't good enough for what we wanted. Mm. But that's what they had dealt with for 15 years, and that's what they were accustomed to, and that's how what they that's what they deemed success. And it sort of created a misalignment, as where if you bring people, we always talk it picking them off the podium. If you bring yeah. somebody in who's exceptionally talented, has those skills that all successful athletes have to have. Um, you can teach them how to use Excel. You can teach them how to, uh, you know, understand basic business principles. I mean, in fact, uh, you know, maybe with the exception of sales position, because I, I, I do sort of believe that sales is kind of a born trait as opposed to a, a learned trait. But, you know, customer service, I, I, these are amazingly talented people who, uh, you know, found a way to succeed in a non-traditional fashion. They'll pick all those other skill sets up. And, uh, you know, us at Scratch Labs, you know, I'm very committed to giving people the resources to learn that stuff. I mean, you mentioned Jason. Um, not to throw him under the bus, but I don't think he could use Excel at all, <laughs> you know, when he first started working for us and had horrible aptitude for a computer. And, you know, we've put a lot of resources and time into helping him with that. And uh, it's more than paid off because, yeah. you know, now we've got a great person who's got great skills as well. Yeah. And so... Um who, I mean, it sounds like you do a lot of the mentoring now. Um, who was your mentor through, uh, through the process of becoming a businessman? Well, that never stops. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's uh, probably two people, too many people to name here, um, but I, I can think of two people in particular that have been uh, instrumental in, in helping me with that transition. One is a professor that I had at the Colorado School of Mines, um, who ironically is the same professor who told me to drop out of the School of Mines when I was 19 to go be a bike racer. Uh, but I called him when I was 27 and said, okay, that's done, what now? And he said, you know, come back to school, um, which was fun. Uh, and the second one is a guy here in town. His name is Walter Wong. Um, he's an engineer, he's a scientist, he's a technologist, uh, but he just knows everybody. And he's one of, these, one of the few people I've ever met that has a, a science mind, but also has the ability to communicate, uh, you know, like you would sort of stereotypically apply to most business people. Yeah. And I, f I kind of find that perpendicular skill set's really, uh, it's rare. Um, so it's something that I've always aspired to achieve, and, and Walter's been, been amazing. Very cool. So I got a couple more questions um, to kind of wrap this up. So one, what is the best piece of advice you were given athletically? Yeah, that's a good one. So this one's easy for me. And this, this is a piece of advice that I got from Christian Vanneveld. And uh, it's pretty simple. So it's, it's go easy when it's hard and go hard when it's easy. And uh, without dragging it out too much, I think you can, you know, you can think about a time trial and it's obvious how you would apply that. Um, but it's amazing what a what an improvement that can give you in your time trial. Um, but I also think of that in greater things, you know, when it comes to training and being consistent throughout not only a year or a period, but throughout a career. And uh, I don't know, it's very, very apt advice and something that I, I, I think about, you know, probably on a daily basis, even in business. Very cool. Or being a father or a husband. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how all of the pursuits 
you know, get looked at through the same lens. But yeah. along those lines, what's the best piece of business advice you've been given? Yeah, so this one, uh, it's tough, but I think the, and total cliche of an answer, so I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out, but I think that uh, it's all about people. And that uh, no matter how smart you are, no matter how cool you are, no matter any of those amazing things, I mean, you could be the greatest, but if you don't get the right people around you and keep those people, it's not going to work out. And so then, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this that, um, you know, are involved in athletics and also are interested in starting their own businesses. So what is the best piece of advice you can give to an athlete? Yeah, so for me, the biggest lesson that I learned, and, and I failed at this as a ski racer and I think was able to have uh, maybe some better success as a cyclist because I had learned it as a 15-year-old kid, um, is, is for me, the way I describe it is to create intrinsic goals mm-hmm. that support your extrinsic goals, which you know most people think of as the outcome goals. And, and what I mean by that, and, and another great example is, you know, if your goal is to win such and such race, the reality is, is that there's a whole bunch of little things you have to do to make that possible. And if you do all those little things and do everything, you know, to the best of your ability and with full commitment, and then you show up on race day and somebody else just beats you, you can't go home thinking you're a failure. And if you do, you're getting it for the wrong reasons. And so even when you do win, it's just not going to really, it's not going to work out well. Um, so anyways, it's worked for me. It's worked in business. Um, but a hard, hard lesson I learned as a, you know, a young national level ski racer. And, uh, what is the best piece of business advice you'd have for our listeners? So this one for me is uh, of the utmost importance, and this is a lesson that, that we had to learn at Scratch Labs. I had to learn way too many times, and it's a simple idea of trusting yourself. Um, and uh, I think not having come from the business world, um, the initial my initial response was to think that there were these magic... Uh, magic tools or magic skill sets or magic pieces of knowledge that people who had come from the business world had that I would never understand. And um, oftentimes we made some pretty big mistakes by asking other people to tell us what to do rather than doing what we wanted to do or making a decision for ourselves. And it's not that you, you don't want to ask questions, you do, but don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't, uh, don't feel like you should know something. And I mean, a great, a great example would be uh, EBITDA right? There's this acronym. <laughs> and it's so funny because when Al and I were first sitting in these business meetings, like people would throw these acronyms out there and we didn't know what any of them meant. And at first we would leave, we'd write them down and then we'd try and Google them all to figure them out. Well, I finally learned that it didn't matter. And I was just like, guys, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the, the sort of irony of it is that what was funny is that other people in the room didn't know what they were talking about either. And that it was almost this foreign language that people were using to sort of shield you from it. And yeah. none of it's, none of it's hard stuff. I mean, you know, thank God for Wikipedia because you can go look that stuff up now. But um, I think, you know, if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're willing to ask the questions, willing to admit that you don't know all the answers, but willing to take the time to explore something and learn something, that you need to trust your own opinions, trust your own instincts, and trust the conclusion that you come to. Um, but I'd take that one step further to answer your question, which is that you also have to trust your team. Because one thing I have now found... Uh, you know, as the CEO of a company with more than two employees, is that you can't do that in every situation. And Mm -hmm. that there are experts uh, who sometimes it's really good to hire. You know, it's a a great tax firm is worth their weight in gold. I mean, you might pay them way more than you think is reasonable for your tax filing, but it's a value add. They're going to save you more, both directly, but also in terms of, of, you know, any potential problems down the road. Um, And same thing, you know, I mentioned Jason. Uh, I mean, Jason does an amazing job. And, uh, 
you know, one big management thing I have, I commit to not micromanaging people. Mm -hmm. You trust them to make decisions and you ride those decisions, whether they succeed or fail. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, trust that person and everything they've done, not try and correct it midstream. Yeah. And so uh, where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you or a little bit more about uh, Scratch? Me? I don't know. That's probably... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but uh, uh, Scratch, Scratch Labs, uh, you know, we've got, you know, great products, great stories, uh, great inspiration is always available. Scratchlabs.com. It's S-K-R-A-T-C-H-L-A-B as in boy, S as in Sam.com. Yeah. Great so. blog stuff on there. I love the yep. one that Alan wrote yesterday. I check in on that quite a bit. And yep. uh, thanks for being on the show. I mean, as far as an example of a world-class athlete who uh, is, you know, and also succeeding in business and, and you know, it's very inspirational to see. And uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, anything you want to say to our uh, listeners about uh, anything coming up on Sunday? You are dressed in head-to-toe orange here. <laughs> I'm uh, nervous and excited. But go Broncos. Go Broncos. And uh, Yellow Belly is offering a Super Bowl special. So uh, we'll leave you guys with that. And uh, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.